I don't think it's avoidable in entrepreneurship not to feel overwhelmed. I always say that entrepreneurship is one of the greatest paths of self-development. It just, it pushes you to the brink and that's what this business really did. The following is brought to you by Thrive. This is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And this week, we're lucky to have an outstanding guest, Joe Pergolese. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Gordon. So quick intro on Joe. Joe Pergolese is an entrepreneur uh, for over 25 years, founded three businesses, all bootstrapped and exited each of them. He's had a brick and mortar business, e-commerce, and built a food franchise to 400 franchises across five countries. He's helped over 1,000 entrepreneurs start, scale, exit, and buy businesses. You can find Joe on joeperg.com. That's J-O-E-P-E-R-G.com. And also additional info on Joe on websitecloisers.com. What should listeners get out of this episode? Joe's a serial entrepreneur. He can give you great insights on launching, scaling, and selling your startup or buying a business if that's what you're seeking. Definitely worth a listen. So Joe, welcome to the show. Let's just start off. Tell us your story. How did you become such a successful entrepreneur? Well, for one, you need somebody to believe in you. I think you need a mentor. You need somebody who inspires you to think bigger. And that's what I had as a, as a young kid. My parents really uh, gave me an opportunity. You know, they lent me, I think it was $10,000 back in 1994. And uh, I had a, a mentor at the time say to me, ignorance is a blessing to the youth. And I'll never forget that. Like that gave me permission to try. And fortunately, I think my first business was a success. So that gave me an air of confidence. And I know some people don't have success with their first business, but um you know, my, my, my trajectory was my parents helped me a little bit. And then uh, from day one, opening my business was a success. And that really inspired me to, to keep it going. That was, that was, I think, the springboard. And that set me up for the rest of my career. I don't know if I was lucky, or if I had an inflated sense of confidence, or there was some kind of innate talent here, but it was something like that. One of those. So tell us about the three businesses you started. As I understand, you bootstrapped yeah. and exited three businesses. Uh, that's pretty impressive. You don't look that old. Uh, so tell us about those three businesses you bootstrapped and exited. Yeah, sure. The first one was in New York City, and it was right at the time where the action sports industry was really tr starting to hockey stick. And I had hobby at the time, you know, that was my genre, counterculture, New York City. Uh, and I, you know, I opened it up with, again, like $10,000. And my first month, my first month in business, I did $30,000. So it was, it was an immediate success. Snowboarding, skateboarding was, again, like really taking off. So the timing was there. So it's a brick and mortar business and you're selling snowboards and skateboards? Correct. In New York City. In New York City. Okay. Yeah. And it was it was really wonderful. 
uh, one of the big things that I think drove the momentum of the business is it had a sense of a community. And uh, in, I think, Marty Neumeyer's book, Zag, he talks about uh, building a tribe and a tribe can really help, uh, you know, really aid in a business's success. And that's what I had. I had a community of kids, community of young adults. And after selling snowboards for four years, uh, I, I wanted to go and snowboard. And there was a large chain going on, buying all the smaller the businesses. And one thing led to another. I think I picked up the phone or they picked up the phone. And, and it took about, interestingly enough, it took about a year to do the deal. Uh, I was ready. And I did a little bit of a transition. And then I picked my bags up and I downshifted. It was difficult. Uh, that, that first business was difficult because all my friends were didn't have the level of responsibility that I had. And that's that's really just to say that I was under a lot of um, I was on a steep learning curve of maturity at, at the ripe old age of 21 years old. So so yeah, I I downshifted and then uh which was great. I had a I had a lot of money in the bank uh for a young kid. And fortunately, I didn't spend it all. Uh, I kept some of it. <laughs> and, you know, I hunted. I, I, I did a bunch of other things. Uh, you know, I worked in marketing. I worked in education. But that that initial experience, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you you develop this sixth sense of, of looking at the world almost as opportunity, looking at the world as the you know what needs are there, looking at unique experiences, um, looking at things that provide value that are underserved uh, or underdelivered, I should say. And you know this this entrepreneurial instinct never shuts off. Uh, and lo and behold. Um, my second business uh, was inspired through an experience while working on a farm. And uh, I, I, again, I was downshifted. I was just living life. I was working on a farm and uh, we had a, a cob oven on, on the farm and it was starting to deteriorate. And the master gardener was like, yeah, I want to rebuild the the pizza or the wood fired oven out of fire brick, and I had never done anything like that before. But I was like, I'll give it a shot, and I said, Yeah, Gunter, I could build it. And he said, Sure, go build it. And that was not the answer I was expecting him to say. So uh, I end up figuring out how to build this beautiful uh, wood fired oven made out of brick. And I would host pizza parties at night. We would go into the garden, bring the food and uh -huh. toss the pizza and drink wine. And, and one night I remember looking out at, at, you know, a dozen friends or so gathered around the fire. And I was just staring at everybody going, this is such an experience. How do I take this and bring this to other people? Uh -huh. And this is 2003. So this is really early in the artisanal, you know, resurgence of cooking. Uh -huh. And so um, I came up with this idea to put one of these ovens on a trailer. Uh -huh. And a picture got put on the internet by somebody I didn't even know. 
And then my my phone started ringing and people wanted to know all about wood-fired pizza and wanted pizza ovens. And, and so I ended up forming this white label franchise that really enabled people to put their own signature, their own brand onto something. I, I guess that's just part of my own DNA is individualism versus, you know, here's your Sabaro. I mean, interestingly enough, I taught one of the Sabaros how to make pizza, but that's an aside. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, great, great guy too. So anyway, I I formed this, I created this white label franchise. It was a turnkey business model for people who wanted to either do restaurants or in uh, or mobile food catering, which was extremely, you know, emerging at the time. It was very new. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I ended up with a manufacturing business. I ended up with a cooking school, a sales agency, consulting. I wrote a book. We held seminars. And I, I, I don't think it's, Gordon, I don't, I don't think it's avoidable in entrepreneurship not to feel overwhelmed. Hmm. I, I just think it's, it's a mandatory step in improvement. It's a, I always say that entrepreneurship is one of the greatest paths of, of um, self-development. It just, it pushes you to the brink. And that's what this business really did. Uh, I never used the CRM before. I didn't even know what a Gantt chart was and employees and and it was just these incremental steps of building that business that uh, taught me a lot. And and uh, my my mentor at the time, um, Ira, not son, who wrote the book "Buying and Selling a Business for Entrepreneur." You know, him and I were in my kitchen one day, and I was just telling him, "I'm like, I'm like, Ira, I, I built this great business. I'm this big CEO." And it's all a farce. I don't want anything to do with it. It's it's a bad bill of sales trying to be a CEO. It's too much pressure. I want out. And he just smiled and he shook his head. And and at that point in time, I knew I had uh, reached my limit. Uh, it was about seven or eight years of building that business. And and uh, you know, on the tail end of building that business, I got to work with Steve Jobs and his executive team. And I did some projects for them over at the um, Apple HQ. And so that was, I think, a pinnacle moment in my career that really solidified what entrepreneurship really, really is. Uh, Because I had worked with first-time entrepreneurs who were taking second mortgages on their home in the 2008 crisis. And here I am, you know, designing something, working with Steve Jobs and and being involved in that deep embedded in that culture of seeing, you know, how they they all are so meticulous and and at the same time, um, just dispelling all these uh, grandioso uh, projections I had about business. Oh, it has to look this way. You're not, if you're not, raising money or not wearing a suit, or if you're not talking about your, you know, whatever your valuation, you're not, you haven't hit big time. Mm -hmm. 
No, that's that not in my experience. My, my experience has been always like more of the heart, more of the thoughtfulness, more of the service, more of of wonder, more of curiosity. Those have been the cornerstones of pushing business forward for me. And I saw it. I even saw it at Apple. Um, yeah, the biggest company in the world. So I, I was fortunate to sell that company. And again, I took, I took some time off. Uh, I didn't eat pizza for over a year. Uh, I, was, I was done. And uh, then I started to dabble in, in real estate. And that proved to be successful. And then uh, I got involved, interested in Amazon in 2016. And took a bunch of courses, read a bunch, and started a leather goods company. And after a few years of running that, I realized that I did not want to um, constantly have to uh, interact with an algorithm. Because with, with Amazon, you're you know, sure, you have a customer, you have to deliver something to your customer, but you're always chasing how to optimize, optimize, optimize your listing for traffic. Right. And, and so I, you know, I spent, I spent a bunch of time learning that ecosystem, getting involved with e-commerce, and then I sold that business too. So. Um, okay. So let's get into what you're doing now and how you're helping people now. So you've, you've accomplished these three successful exits, some terrific business learning. Uh, but yeah. now you're into helping others uh, do what you did, basically. So tell us about your consulting business. Let's start with, you know, let's say I'm a guy and I just have a dream for a new business, like you were at one point. Do you work with guys like that or do. gals, you know, who 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 were just, you know, guy in a dream? Uh, yeah. How, how does that work? What does it cost? Tell us about that piece. Yeah, sure. Uh, I do work with first-time entrepreneurs. I work with seasoned entrepreneurs in consulting. If somebody wanted uh, to start a business, I have I have a lot of friends that come to me, you know, wanting to start a side business or even clients of mine. Um, it's a retainer. So uh, depending on the scale of the business could be 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 a month, depending on how, how big the project is. Um, and my, I guess, my gift is to put things in really practical terms because I've been there. I, I know it so well uh, that I can chunk things down and break things down in, into simple terms. You know, I, I was mentioning earlier, there's this air of, of being an entrepreneur that can seem so almost like a glass ceiling yeah. for people. And, and that's one of the first, if this is someone's first business, that's one of the first things I tell them is like, Hey, this is it. Like we're doing it. You're, you're not going to one day arrive. You've already arrived. So uh, again, like depending on what the business needs, uh, how long it's been established for, whether it's organization, thinking about delegation, which is always a big challenge for entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, is, is when to delegate, how to delegate, uh, product strategy, you know, how how are we looking at your catalog or how are we looking at your services? 
what's what's your competitive advantage mm-hmm. uh, you know these these conversations that at first that I have with my clients are very organic and then they start to take shape and we started to create a roadmap and once the roadmap has been sketched penciled designed what have you then it's a it kicks into sort of a second gear which is okay how do we manage how do we continue to evolve this plan? How are you personally managing your work? A lot of times, you know, that gets tossed under the rug, which is, you know, you could have the best system in the world, but if you're not functioning, if you're not sleeping, yeah, if you're not eating, your business is going to crumble. If you're not, a, and you know what, I, Gordon, I'll go here, but, you know, if you're not a good person, what makes you think like you're going to be able to hire employees? Right. How are, how happy are they going to be? How happy are your customers going to be if you're a jerk? Right, right. I don't know. So there's a little psychology involved here as well. Absolutely. So, so that's that's on the that's on the uh, get your business started side. Now there's another piece uh, I want to kind of touch on briefly. All the things I think you do, yeah. uh, funding. So yeah. I'm a guy who or a gal who has a business. Um, maybe I'm in business. I want to expand the business. I want to grow. I need money. You, part of what you do is make funding available, right? Yeah. 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 So um, two things. One is in my experience, uh, there's lots of ways to generate capital depending on the stage of the business. You know, there's friends and family rounds, there's seed rounds, um, then you get into multiple rounds, you know, your ABC rounds. Um, so if, if you are a, uh, budding entrepreneur, you have options, um, in terms of where you can get money. And there's even, you know, nowadays there's crowd crowdfunding, uh, that, which is a whole other strategy. It's an incredible strategy actually on, um, Kickstarter and stuff like that. Um, a lot of smart businesses launch on there to raise money. Um, on the professional side, and the professional services, what I do today, uh, I'm always looking at deals. Uh, you know, not only just in a transactional M&A space, but uh, for people to raise capital. And um, you know, that that's a process, right? Like, there's there's some businesses that uh, have a great idea, but the founder might not uh, be capable of executing. And then there's also vice versa. You have a great founder and a mediocre idea. And so when I'm when I'm working with a client, a private client, to help them raise money, that's one of the first things I'm trying to think about is what's the strong suit here? Which one's stronger? Yep. Uh, you know, the research says uh, most the more the more attractive component to a deal uh, for an investor is 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 the founder or are the founders? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the so, business can always, you always have to pivot, right? No idea is always the same from the beginning to the end. And so you're really betting on the team or the founder, you know, because you're buying into that uh, ability to adjust as the business needs change. Absolutely. And, 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 and that Gordon, on that note, part of, uh, let's just call them, you know, the CEO, the founder, um, part of one of, one of the ways they're being assessed is their ability to communicate and their ability to sell themselves. Yeah, sure. And that is so, I think, under the radar. 
yeah. uh, on 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 really charisma and 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 knowing how to to be coachable but also being confident mm -hmm. uh, and when i work with when i work with a company that's eventually wanting to raise money and they're working on their deck uh, i'll spend two months with somebody working on their deck working on their pitch uh so that they can sound competent confident but again that open flexible mind uh and and also again psychology is a huge thing uh, because not one size does not fit all with an investor and some investors are so you know focused on their own lane sure some investors are could be very controlling some investors can give you the lowest valuation however they offer you the most amount of resources right, right. and i you know i get really dense with with my clients uh in in the sense that we're tapering the pitches to who the, yeah. the VC is or the PE is. Know your audience. Yeah, for sure. You got to know your audience. You have to. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so now I want to get into exits. Um, and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a founder who's, who's, you know, I've had success. I'm looking to sell the business, but I don't know how. Or, yeah. you know, I have an idea, but I'm not an expert. I know you help with that as well. And obviously you've done it a bunch of times. How do you, yeah. how do you take me through an exit? Yeah, great. Great question. Uh, the first phase is sort of cleaning house. So uh, depending on your business, do you have SOPs in place? Do you have your contracts in place with your suppliers? And do you have, you know, what's your supply chain like? Um, what's your product development pipeline look like? Uh, how competent is your staff? Uh, what's going to happen uh, when you hand the keys off? Is the person going to be able to drive the car off the lot? Like, or are the wheels going to fall off? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that we start with is financials. And this is why it's never too early to start planning for your exit. Because mm -hmm. uh, I want to look at your books. I want to make sure that your books are not just set up for your accountant, not just set up for the way you like to look at them, mm. but for the way a buyer is going to want to look at them. The what is the most comprehensive universal way we can present your financials that are going to make the most amount of sense. I had a deal break last week because there was a, a $1 million discrepancy between what the buyer was seeing and what the seller was showing. And there was lack of confidence in the numbers. Lack of yep. confidence in the numbers just stops a deal. So I will, like I said, clean house with you could take a month, could take a year, whatever the desired exit's going to be. Uh, and then um, once, once we're at that point, we'll develop all the marketing materials, and, uh, you know, a broker in my sense, in my case, I do all the heavy lifting. I I'm communicating. So you have everything that you want to know, you know, what's going on, but you can run your business. Right. I, you, you not, are just, just so just for the record here, you are a business broker, right? That's your, right. that's kind of your handle on your business card, right? Or at least one of them. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll help people sell. And, and as you said, they just like you would help somebody sell a house. 
and they're busy running their business. Now, what about the other side while we're at this? Sure. You also help people buy businesses. In fact, that may be your biggest thing, right? That yeah. when, when I go to your website, uh, or at least the website closers.com site where yeah. you appear, you have listings of businesses, just like people can find listings of houses to buy. So yeah. if I'm somebody who maybe I have some money or I got some uh, backing and I'm looking to buy a business, I come to you. What is that process like? That seems so sure. intriguing to me that people come out of the woodwork and just say, and they may not necessarily have experience in this area, like, oh, I want to buy a restaurant or I want to buy a, yeah. a, a service business that, that cleans homes or something. And I may have no background in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. The hunt for opportunity. So um, that's the other side of the coin. And I love that part. Uh, so depending on, you know, is this a first time entrepreneur? Uh, is this again, like a PE firm, um, PE firms, you know, private equity firms or family offices or serial entrepreneurs, they typically know exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. And so then it's just a matter of, okay, uh, is this a build or buy situation for you? So it's a buy, is this a bolt on to an existing business? Uh, are you trying to target the same client? Uh, but just in a different uh, marketplace, or are you um, trying to, you know, increase your healthcare line or, you know, supplement line, whatever. So PE firms, serial entrepreneurs, they typically have their mandate. They know what they're looking for. And that takes some time to find the right listing. I'm always in touch with, you know, my, my short list of buyers uh, who are qualified, who I, who I know and trust that they're, you know, worth the time because that's a big deal for brokers. There's so many buyers kicking tires. Mm, yeah, um, you be. it's sure. a total waste of, well, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but yeah, you have to know where to invest your time. And, and then for the first time entrepreneur, you know, that's a little bit more of a delicate process, uh, understanding people's risk tolerance, understanding their capabilities. I mean, at the end of the day, if someone wants to buy a business, I'm going to sell them that business, but I certainly am involved or trying to advise on, hey, this might be a better business opportunity for you versus this other opportunity over right. there. Right. What, what what size businesses are you typically buying and selling or brokering? Uh, yeah. Are they, you know, 10 million, 20 million? What, what, what size businesses? Yeah. The, yeah. I'm, I'm actually across the range. Uh, I have like a half a million dollar listing all the way up to a $90 million listing right now. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, it <laughs> some days, you know, like, the, the half a million dollar business might be worth more than, you know, a $20 million business. I don't, you know, it, it price really at the end of the day, price is very little to do with, uh, with the job. It's really about analyzing the bones of the business, finding the fit, making sure, you know, that it's going to close. No one wants to waste their time. I've been working on a deal for two years, uh, and it might break today. Uh, so yeah. it, 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 it is, fortunately it's a successful business, so it will sell, but, um, you know, it, it's still a business is, is still subjected to all the same, um, critiques or yeah, assessments. So, yeah. So what is the cost to work with you from a business broker standpoint? I mean, I guess we've all, many of us, you know, bought or sold a house. So you have some idea of what a 
house broker cost? What does what a business broker cost to work with? Yeah, just like in just like in the real estate market, there could be tiers. So depending on the value of the house, you know, a standard commission could be six percent for I guess properties under a million dollars, and then it goes to four percent or three percent. So um, it's the same sort of tiered structure in the brokerage world. Um, typically, deals uh, that I execute that are under five million are a ten percent commission, um, and then. Um, it goes down from from there on up. Um, I'd say on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the low end, uh, you know, depending on again, like the price, our commissions could be as low as three percent. Mm. Um, and and yeah, it's a there's a matrix involved. I don't know, Gordon, how how deep we want to get into it, but um, because there could be certain percentages for cash, there could be certain percentages for equity. Because not every deal that gets done, obviously, is for all cash. So mm -hmm. we do, there could be a blended rate. So when I say 10%, a blended rate could end up being six or seven or something like this. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. And how many deals are you handling at any one time? You seem like an extremely busy guy. Like how many balls do you have in the air at any given time? Yeah. Uh, if I if I tally up my buy side uh, buy side deals that I'm working on and my sell side deals. Um, I could have a total of 20. Some mm -hmm. of those are top of funnel. Mm -hmm. uh, my dailies, the day to days that I'm working on might be six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they spare, you know, Gordon, the wonderful thing about the, the, the seat I sit in is that I, they span the gamut, like in terms of industries and spaces. And that is just such a, I feel so fortunate to be able to see into so many different industries. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It, it's so cool. Yeah, that is great. You know, uh, our company Thrive makes a, a CRM for small businesses. We help small businesses really manage their client communication end to end from the first appointment all the way through payments and reviews. And I'm curious, since you've seen so many of these exits, um, it's always been my thought that having a good system for managing your accounts, so you know who, who are my clients, who are my good clients, not so good clients, who's, uh, early, like you said, early in the process, late in the pro top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, uh, spends a lot, does all that information and have it in one system where potentially a buyer could basically boot up your computer and almost understand the whole business right there not just from the financials, but who are the clients? Yeah. And what's the history with those clients? Who, who remodeled in 94 and is due for re remodeling now? And who, you know, whatever. Um, do you agree with that premise? Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, you have a great product. Uh, through my career, I, I've, you know, spent, you know, thousands of dollars on CRMs trying. And, you know, it's funny, Gordon, I was actually going to tell this story, uh, you know, a few moments ago. Uh, my first CRM was like this piece of paper that I created a template on. Right. And I remember one day looking at my like this pseudo notebook I made with these templates. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. Right. And then I found, you know, I found my first CRM and I, it, it you can't run a successful business without managing your customers or your clients you just you leave so much money on the table uh you can't remember you can never remember it all uh sure it takes some time 
to build it into your workflow. But after you do that, the growth is exponential. The success is exponential. I could, I could just type in a few keywords in, in my CRM and I could get 10 buyers who are looking for this very business yeah. that I now have. Absolutely. Yeah. Thousands of buyers in my database. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. 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 No, I, I, we run into this all the time, but you know, think of yourself even just as a consumer, like I have a guy who fixes, uh, you know, auto repair shop, auto body shop locally and great guy, good at what he does, but does not have um, a real system in place. And if I would get a email or text from him every four months, Set or every three months saying your quarterly uh, fill in the blank, your oil change, you know, uh, checkup, license, whatever, you know, is due, um, I would bring it up in. But he never tells me. So it's just when I think I have a problem, you know, which is less often than I probably should. Right. So, you know, and you can say that for lawn care, you can say it for tree trimming, you can say it for dishwashers, you know, almost anything. Just that regular, hey, it's time for the checkup, it's time for the and but you have to have the system in place to send the message so that you can get the appointment. Lots of times business owners uh, impose their own self-beliefs or pre preferences onto their customers. And what you just brought up is a great example. It's like, I would agree too, if I got a text message from a service provider uh, for something that I really cared about, I'd be like, thank you. Yeah, You're not yeah. bothering me, Mr. Mrs. Right. Service Provider. You right. are actually making my job easier. So I'm more likely to be loyal to you. And I find that business owners, you know, might be like, oh, I don't want to be another person hounding you right. or this, that. So they don't want that system, but they're thinking about their preferences, not the preferences of their of their customers. Yeah. So very, very much. And yeah. and I don't know about if I'm normal this way, but it seems to me the companies that hound me are companies that somehow just got my email address and they sell me, send me basically spam that somehow gets through. And meanwhile, the companies that I'd like to hear from, which are yes. often local businesses that I'm doing something with, mentioned some of them before, don't hound you. You know, so the local where you'd say yes, you know, you never hear from. And in fact, the purpose of, of what we do with this CRM is really to empower the local businesses in some ways to act like the bigger businesses because the bigger businesses are all over how to manage their digital accounts. Local guys tend not to. So right. um, that's that's really the purpose. Yeah. You know, it's a way to really increase the velocity of the business. You say on your website, I'm a father first, avid outdoor recreationist doing the typical Colorado activities such as hiking, mountain biking, snowboarding. And then you talk about your art background influences everything. Yeah. Um, how, how did you have time to do that with all the stuff you're doing? How did you how did you find time for all this fun stuff you you do? Oh, uh, you know, it's some of this like sprinting mentality when you're starting a business. You're sprinting, and you know there aren't there aren't really a whole lot of fun moments. If yeah. you're fortunate, you end up having uh, employees or you have coworkers that are into some of the same things you do. So you could kind of come up with a reason to go for a hike on in the middle of the day. Uh, my, my down periods, again, this is just the way I, um, 
have you run my my professional career is I'll do sprints and then I'll do an exit and then I'll take some time off. Uh, nowadays, though, it's different because uh, I've experienced those highs and lows and I do not like those large deltas. I I want to have a more balanced life. So so nowadays, like I'll take my daughter for an example, like my my daddy daughter time is impenetrable. You cannot get and it's scheduled. And that is that is it. I will always have another deal. I will never have another daughter. And that's what I tell my clients, you know, get your get your priorities straight. That email, that text message does not need to be sent right now. Be present with your with your family. So my daughter's taught me that. Um, and I've been able to implement taking time off, creating boundaries, and they got to be real. They got to be real boundaries. We're almost out of time, but I, on the, I just want to ask you one more thing about this work-life balance. Cause you're at a stage of the, your career now where, you know, you can say, uh, that email can wait. I, I got to have my daddy daughter time. Um, but for that first time entrepreneur who's in the throes of building that business <laughs> And, you know, it's like all consuming. It's pretty hard to get that. I mean, you can say those words, but, you know, the phone's ringing, the banker's on the other side, the client's mad, right? I mean, it's hard to break away, right? It's hard to, and, and you hear as a result, so many work, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour days, day after day after day, right? How do you yeah. find that work-life balance if you're like the first time entrepreneur, you're 26 years, you know, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think you I think it's important to take a step back and realize that you uh, you can optimize your your work uh, with the when you recharge. Mm. So yeah, you think you know, let me work twelve hours, but those last four hours, how productive are you? Mm. So that's a real. Um, that's a real mind shift because I think when you're when you are again your first time entrepreneur, you're just drinking from the fire hose. You're just trying to stay alive. You don't even know what you don't know. You're and you're dealing. A lot of entrepreneurs deal with imposter syndrome, so they think the answer to that is to work harder. <laughs> and 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 it, it's it's like no, wait, hold on. You've already made it. You're already doing it. You're all like, quote unquote, the rest of us, us entrepreneurs, like take your foot off the gas for just, you know, a half hour for a minute and, and start to think about it in terms of, okay, how efficient can I be? Um, how do my prioritizing and even acceptance, that's part of it too. It's going to be like, all right, I'm going to be accepting that I'm working seven days a week. So I'm expanding my work week, but at the same time, I need to reward myself. I need to, yeah, the pressure is on. I need to go for a hike. Uh, sometimes when you're in the pressure cooker and you take yourself out of it, it's true. Some of, some of the best ideas come from that separation. And and it's really difficult, Gordon. It, I, I sympathize a lot with entrepreneurs to really understand that uh, not taking breaks is as here. Another, I'll tell you another short story about Apple. They they pretty much almost demand that their executives take 
time off every three months. Hmm. We're just, it's just not humanly possible. You don't have anything to prove. You only have your sanity to degrade. Yeah, fine. <laughs> so, Good yeah. stuff. Well, Joe, yeah. we're uh, we're out of time. This has been great. Really uh, learned a lot, and and I'm sure people got a lot out of this episode. Where where is the best place for people to find you and learn more about what you're doing and how you might be able to help them? Yeah, absolutely. I think my personal website's the best, Joe at or my email address, Joe at JoePerg.com. Reach out, uh, say hello. Um, I you know if I can answer a quick email in a, in a few moments, I definitely will. Uh, if someone wants to jump on a discovery call, I'm happy to do that too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you again for coming on our show. Great to have you here. Yep. Thank you, Gordon. This has been great. Yep. And uh, thanks to our producer, Tim Alleman, our coordinators, Diet Barnett, Daniel Huddleston. They do a great job. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues, friends, and family to subscribe. And please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us in the rankings. Until next time, make it a great week. Oh, 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 oh,